Hello and welcome to the On The Whistle podcast. We are back again with our preview series and today we are looking at the Indomitable Lions, aka Cameroon. And there is only one person we can turn to to speak about Cameroon. That is, of course, Francis Inquain. Brother Francis joins the podcast again to talk about the Indomitable Lions, chatting a little bit about Andre Onana and the fact that he's only going to be coming to the team with you know less than 24 hours ahead of their opening game against Guinea as well as a few other things. We cannot wait to get stuck into the podcast. I hope you enjoy it as much as I did recording it. Francis, it, it's so good to see you. It's it's so good to see you in that kit as as always. And it's so good to see you on the verge of yet another AFCON. And it's not it's not an AFCON without Cameroon, let's be honest. They're one of the the most iconic teams on the continent. You know, they hosted it last time. Coming into this time, you know, there's there's a lot of questions around this team. And, and I thought this would be a good opportunity to kind of reflect on the last two years because it's been a a very, you know, new time, I guess, in, in terms of Cameroonian football. Obviously, we have the legend Samuel Eto, arguably the greatest ever African football player, becoming the president of the federation, hosting the tournament on Cameroonian soil, putting on, for the most part, a brilliant tournament. Uh, and kind of especially one I think that will go down in, in memory is one that had some of the best crowds, some of the best attendances, some of the most flair at it. Um, obviously didn't end up going too well for Cameroon in the end with the, with the semifinal loss to Egypt, but weren't too far away from from winning the tournament. But then, you you know, you get have the World Cup qualifiers, you know, despite losing at home to Algeria, you qualify for the World Cup in the most dramatic fashion that is humanly possible with Carl Toko Akambi scoring that 124th minute winner in 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 Algeria with the last kick of the game etc cetera, etc cetera, breaking hearts you know and then it's kind of a, a disappointing world cup you you're, you lose your first two games or knocked out and then you save it by you know you still get knocked out but you beat brazil become the first african team to beat brazil you know it's brilliant it looks good and and then it kind of continues into this year you know obviously you, 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 you really struggle in qualification. I remember us talking kind of during the qualification process after Namibia got the draw in Cameroon. And I remember you saying, oh, it's fine. It's fine. Don't worry. And then halfway through the, the game in Namibia, you're texting the group being like, uh-oh, like this is suddenly things are in jeopardy. And you eventually pull it out the fire, qualify with the 3-0 win against, against Burundi. You know, how, how do you reflect on the last couple of years as, as a Cameroon fan? Because I know chaos comes naturally to Cameroon but it has been a bit all over the place for you guys. What, what, what do you kind of reflect on these last couple of years? Well, you may call it chaos, but it's what we are accustomed to. You know, it's like, it's kind of like being a Manchester United supporter these days. <laughs> um, you don't know what's going to turn up. Um, but we have this thing in Cameroon, this, this word or phrase that we use, and it's called Hamlet. And it's, um, it, it really kind of like speaks to fighting spirit. And sometimes it's like we are never at our best until we have our backs against the wall. And it's in those moments when that Hemley spirit comes to fore. And it's almost like if it's too easy, we don't, we don't know what to do. You know, it's kind of like if it's laid out and they go, okay, here's a game against, uh, I don't know, uh, Angola, first game of the qualification process, or like we had with Namibia, and you would think on paper, go 
split them and make it comfortable for yourselves. A 6-0 victory would have you on your way and and we'll probably lose <laughs> that game. <laughs> and then the last game will be against Nigeria and we need a draw to maybe sneak in and we'll end up beating them 3-2 or mm -hmm. something crazy like that. But that has been the Cameroon I have always known. And we have come to accept it as par for our course. And so sometimes we don't panic or we don't worry when things seemingly aren't going our way. So the last two years has been precisely that for most people. But I think the thing most people have forgotten about is Rigobert Song and Samoletto have been trying to rebuild our national team. A whole new philosophy, a whole idea of introducing young talent early. We have a young Chelsea stroke Reading player who keeps turning up for every call up and a lot of the Cameroonian fans go, why is this kid coming all the time? But when you understand what the thinking is behind it, where they're trying to familiarize the next generation of talent with the procedure, the processes, the personnel, the professionalism that they want to introduce into the space, you begin to understand what it is they're trying to build. And sometimes when you're building, it's hard to see because we are so of that seed that was planted, that are beginning to sprout. And I think the, the tournament, the AFCON, that we are all excited about that is coming up will be an opportunity for us to see just how far the road, how far down the road the, the, the work is going. And I know the vision for this work is really 2026. I mean, I say this to you very often when we speak. Um, but a lot of the thinking behind the organization of the game in Cameroon is really around the North American World Cup. I think um, knowing that nine teams will be able to qualify, first of all, the, one of the great things is Cameroon must be one of the nine. Um, it's potentially 10, but it's kind of like, okay, we can't have the most number of African teams going and then Cameroon doesn't go. So a lot of the thinking is behind that. Um, this was hardly fought for by a Cameroonian in, in Mr. Hayatu, who was at his time as vice president of FIFA and uh, his time at CAF, did a lot of the heavy lifting that opened up great opportunities for more African participation. Um, and then when you look at the, the AFCON itself, I don't think there's much dissimilarity between the team that's going into this tournament now and the team that went into the 2017 AFCON, for example, where expectation is really uh, managed. I won't say it's low, it's managed. And people just want them to put a good foot forward and just let us feel like, okay, we're not, we're one of the big guys. Nobody really expects us to win it, but they hope as all fans will, and that hope will increase if the performances are positive and results start coming in. But at present, it's more kind of like, let's see what we have. Let's see this new generation. Let's see the passing on of the baton. Um, the median age has dramatically been dropped uh, for this tournament. And people are really excited by seeing the harmony that could be put together. So that's kind of where we are. So I wear my jersey more out of uh, 
belief in the yesteryear and a little bit of hope for our tomorrow. But the present, we all know, is still work in progress. Oh, yeah, I really like that. I think work in progress is kind of is spot on because, you know, that's one of the things I was I was going to ask you about is there's been so much turnover of the last last kind of couple of years. You know, I think we were saying uh, Ngamalu is, has, has been brought back into the squad. But before he was, I think of the 11 that started in that semifinal against Egypt, only five are at this tournament. And so there's been a huge amount of turnover. And, you know, we're seeing some of the younger guys who are, you know, I think particularly for, you know, the standout ones being kind of like Christopher Wu, really exciting kind of center back i think he's playing a friend in, in france you know there, there is there is kind of the springs of, of hope for for the future but obviously there has been some big knocks in terms of personnel for for, for the team um, and we'll get into the players who kind of trying to join the team but maybe maybe aren't but i think primarily injury wise you know i think that this this team has so much going for it in terms of you know, up front, you've so much firepower when in the likes of Vansan Pakar, who's obviously the top goal scorer at the last AFCON and, and Karl Tokukambi, but you all also missing two of your most important players in, in Eric Maxim Chupomoting and, and Brian Mbumo, you know, how much does that impact the team? Because I think particularly in Buma, obviously Chupomoting, Abubakar, and, and to a lesser extent, Tokukambi are, are kind of part of that older core who's, who've been there, done that. They've been a part of that success. You know, I think Chupomoting, this would have been his like fourth or fifth AFCON in a row, same with Abubakar, uh, Abubakar. But, you know, Mbomo is, Mbomo for me is the bigger one because he's young, because he kind of represents that new Cameroon. Obviously, Samuel Eto went out of his way himself to meet him, to kind of court him, to woo him into, uh, forgive my, my, my pun there, to, to bring him into the Cameroon side. How, how much of a loss is it missing those two? I think Mbomo a lot more than Chupo. That's a personal opinion. Um, I think for the purpose of the transition, um, Chupo joined the national team setup in, I think, 2009 or two. So there are a lot of people who felt in the more recent years, he was also the captain before that captaincy was handed over to, to Vincent. Um, and so if you have two or three of that generation, that's usually enough. You know, you have that experience and then you have the younger guys who have garnered a lot more experience, and so you have enough of that. And then you have that set of first-timers. And I think it's that balance that everybody sees the team actually has. So you have you still have players like Clinton Jay, um, who, again, is also part of that generation alongside the Abubakars and the uh, Carl Tokos, and, and they're still there. And... Even Anonana and Anondoa have been around this national team for quite some time. So along with Azambo and Gisa, they can form that experienced core. And then you have the guys who've had their maybe under 10 caps or under 15 caps. And that's where you have these Nuhutolos and, and you know, that there's a, there's a set of them. And then you have the guys for whom it will be their first tournament. And I think the balance is really, really, it's been well struck. That's my opinion. The, the test will be in, in, in the pudding itself. But at present on paper, uh, not many people are worried about what we are seeing. With Chupa Malting in particular, I think a lot of the thinking behind that was it's been a while since he was like the man for Cameroon. He's a great backup. He's a great impact player 
but his style of play changes the way we play because he tends to drop deep and and all, when he plays for Cameroon, and I think he possibly would have just been taken up the spot that a younger player could maybe benefit from the experience of maybe not playing as much but being present, you know. So when you look at players like Magri and players like uh, Pemi. Um, these are young guys for whom this would be their very first tournament, but they are out and out nines. And so they have more to learn from a Vincent Abubakar than they would do from a Trupo Moti in terms of how to play for Cameroon. I don't mean in terms of footballing lessons. You can learn from everywhere, and Trupo is one of the best. He plays for Bayern Munich. You can't argue with that. But I also know that you also get these pressures sometimes from the big European clubs where if you're not essential to your team, there's a little gentle pressure that is also put on you to say, but, you know, if you don't really have to go, you might want to let your federation know, You maybe have a niggle or, you know, you will not be too mad if you don't get called up. So you can stretch that club career. And that's why usually by 30, 31, we have a lot of players voluntarily, um, retiring from international football to prolong their professional club career. And so these things happen. And I don't think it would be out of place to imagine uh, our brother may have also considered just his ability to stretch out his time at Bayern or look for another option. But he's in his, he's had pretty much like a, a one-year rolling deal since he's been at, at Bayern. And I think they would look favorably if he were able to share with them that he had communicated with the Cameroonian FA that he would much rather stay in Germany. Now, he won't say that out loud because that might come across as unpatriotic. Um, but fortunately for Cameroon, I think there is enough talent there for us not to necessarily miss the quality that he has to bring and offer. Francis, ever ever the diplomat, the, the saying the big teams will give you a gentle, gentle push, uh, you know, maybe a polite word. Um, but one of the big teams we, I, I want to mention is, of course, one that Chupaboting is being heavily linked with, and that his brother Andre is at, and it's of course your 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 chaotic all over the place lot Manchester United because we can't talk about the Cameroon team without talking about Andre Onana. Obviously, he's arguably the best goalkeeper in Africa, one of the best goalkeepers in the world, you know, one of the best ball, arguably the best ball playing goalkeeper in the world. Had a bit of a, a tough time at Man U since he started, but has shown, you know, in, in, in patches just how terrific a goalkeeper he is. He's shown the character that, that we, we know he's always had. Uh, and obviously there's always going to be questions around kind of his international work with Cameroon after what happened at the World Cup, obviously leave it, leaving the camp a bit early. And but, you know, it's not him I want to talk about. It's Manu, because we've seen that Manu put a lot of pressure of that, as you say, kind of the gentle push to to keep him. And they actually are, you know, as, as I've seen reported today, are going to keep him until the day before the AFCON when he'll join the Cameroonian team. And we've not just seen this with Onana. We've seen Hannibal Medjbri has, has pulled out of coming to the tournament altogether, which I think is a huge, huge, huge loss for, you know, Tunisia, but more so for himself in terms of getting that experience of playing at the AFCON. But he wants to try and break into the Man U squad, which again, is, as, as you say, is always the players, players right and prerogative. And even Sofia Amrabat, I think, is joining the, the Morocco team late. So it's, you know, Man U have clearly put a lot of pressure on, on their players to, to not join their national team when really, you know, at the time when they should have released them. You know, how, 
how does that make you feel first, you know, obviously as a Cameroonian, knowing that your starting goalkeeper, one of your best players isn't going to join you until the day before the tournament starts. But also as, as an African brother, who's, you know, this is a story we've seen time and time again, you know, big clubs putting pressure on, on their, on their, their African stars to, to not fully commit to their country in the way that we would like to see them. Well, I think, um, if we were being honest, we'd say it's not ideal. But at the same time, I tend to consider it a little bit of a compliment sometimes because um, it's not necessarily the run-of-the-mill players who get asked to stay on just that little bit uh, longer. And this is a new. Yes, United might be the team that is doing this for this particular tournament. But if you went into French football, these conversations are being had at present. Mm -hmm. If you went into Italian football, these conversations are being had at present. In Spanish football, the same. The big clubs who have big games will always want their big players. And the AFCON has always unfortunately fallen around this period where some European teams have engagements that are important to them. And these players are part of that structure. And it's sad and unfortunate that they have to do an either or. Um, but finding uh, an, a terrain d'entente is always a good thing. Um, and I think it, it shows a lot of maturity pop up. These conversations have been had for more than a few days. They've been had for some months. The scheduling has been known. Um, I think if United were top of the league with a 20-point gap, uh, the pressure for them to have their keeper stay on a little bit for two more games would have been less. But given where they are, they have at least respectfully reached out to the Federation and said, can we figure out a way to make this work? Um, the Federation would have looked at the effective that they have, um, would have also spoken with the player, uh, understanding whether he can fly in and do a game. These things happen. A match is a match. He is not unfamiliar to the setup that is our national team. So he would have his way to to get involved in that. And I think it could work, especially for the position he plays as goalkeeper. And in previous AFCONs, we have seen these things happen. We have had star players actually fly in, play a game, fly back out, play a game in Europe, fly back in, play another game for the national team. Um, and so we've seen this. You're the, in the group that is the closest, I would say, to the group of death. You have the holder, Senegal, who look as good as ever. I mean, they've only lost three or four games in the last three or four years. They look excellent coming into it. We have, you know, Guinea, a team that's perennial dark horses. You know, the one thing that they were missing last time was someone who could put the ball back in the net. Lo and behold, suddenly they have Sergio Giassi, who's been one of the best strikers in Europe before he got injured. He was, I think, probably the best striker in Europe, bar, bar Harry Kane, in terms of in terms of his goal return. And then you have the, the Gambia, who have shown and showed on Cameroonian soil how good they are at a tournament, even though it's only their, their second appearance at this tournament. You know, topping a group with Mali and Tunisia, beating Guinea in the, in the round of 16, and then, of course, coming up against a certain Cameroonian side in the quarterfinals. So obviously there's a lot of there's a lot there. Guinea played Gambia at the last tournament. You knocked out Gambia at the last tournament. They obviously want revenge. They're a very, very good side. And you have the big boy Senegal who you know beat beat Cameroon earlier in it, this year, or well, I guess now last year, in a friendly in, in France. 
you know, how confident are you coming into this group, you know, knowing that, you you know, Senegal are going to be the favorites, but you have what it, you know, do you, is, is the goal in Cameroon to top this group to beat Senegal or, or is it a mission? Okay, we can get second, get that runners up. What What's the kind of expectations for this? The goal is to make it through to the next round. And, and we all know in this tournament, the formats we have, the top two are guaranteed to go through. And you have a potential third place. I think it's like four of the top threes also uh, progress. So there are enough options there, I think, for us to be confident enough that we should be able to make it through to the next round. It's tournament football. And tournament football is you do what you need to do to potentially win, is it six or seven games that you actually play or something like that to make it to the final. Yeah. So I think that would be the game plan that uh, Rigobert would have and he would have spoken with his federation boss and they would have agreed for the whole of Africa, for the whole world, for all lovers of football, it will be good football. We have two coaches who are very similar in character, in their approach to the game. And I have shared this with you before. I think in Rigobert, there are a lot of lessons to be learned from Aliusise, which is time. And that's the one thing the Senegalese Federation did, was were a plenty. Uh, there were a lot of opinions about his lack of qualifications, his inability to put together a winning team. Oh, they would punch well one day and disappear the next. But now, over time, he has built a team that walks into a tournament now and everybody says these are the favorites to win. They are amongst, they are the best sub-Saharan African team, but the second best African team on paper. Um, so when we look at that, I think the Cameroon in FA have taken many a leaf out of the book of the Senegalese football. Senegal will just be giving us another opportunity to measure ourselves up in terms of our progress alongside what it is the Senegalese have built over the last 10 years. We are, I think it's three years into this project with Rigobert. I'm not even sure how long it's been, but I think it's about that three years, four years. It was like he just got there. So I'm not too sure. But um, I do know that it is work in progress. And in this group, there will be some really, really exciting games. There are a lot of nuances in each of the matches. Um, a lot of personality things will come to the fore. A lot of club competition will come to the fore. A lot of historical issues will be settled as well. So I look forward to it. That's what I always love about, about the AFCON. It's always more than football. There's always more on the line. Um, and, I, and I really like that point you make about Ali Sisi as well. I mean, it's easy to forget, but, you know, the last AFCON, it was essentially in a position where if he didn't win it, he was being sacked. And that was the pressure. It was saying, oh, he'll be a failure. He won't be good. But now suddenly, yeah, Senegal are best team. They look brilliant. They, you know, they look like the best run, you know, team in the business. Francis, we always finish off by these these previews We've by doing a quick fire round of questions. And so I'm going to hit you with a few now. Uh, some, some, some might, huh? Yeah, well, I'll tell the, the viewers and listeners, Francis has not been prepared for this, so so you'll get his honest honest reaction. Some are easy, some are hard, but Francis, the first the first question is, coming into this tournament, who is Cameroon's most important player for this tournament? Most important player? I would say our captain and talisman, Abubakar Vincent, because I think if he's if he does what he did at the last tournament, as in 
get anywhere near eight goals, we're going to the finals. We'll be in the finals because he'll, if he scores, I think we win. You know, so it's not even like if he scores, we draw or, you know, he's one of those guys who I think if he's on point, he will bring a lot of confidence to the team. Um, we have a challenge around the middle of the park. Um, that's that's our truth. It's having the person who can sit next to a Zambo and Gisa who can allow him not to feel like he needs to overcompensate or feel like he needs to overplay. Um he needs a partner next to him that allows him to just do the good things really well and really quickly. And that is really to get the ball to a person who can put it in the back of the net. And that's why I think Vincent Abubakar is the most important player we have. And, and I think Vincent has shown that he he shows up when when there's the most kind of fire there for him. And obviously that we saw that the last AFCON. And even since then, I think there's an element where he's had to almost reprove himself because he was at Al Nasser. He was the star there. They signed this this random guy I've heard about, Cristiano Ronaldo, and and they chuck and they chuck they chuck him, and he has to go to Besiktas. But he's now he's been fantastic at Besiktas. He's banging in the goals. And yet Besiktas have also tried to chuck him away as well, coming up with some flimsy reason for being unprofessional. And you think it's your highest goal scorer is like what exactly is he doing wrong? So he's forever having to prove himself. And I think if he hits the ground running. And I think that's maybe one of the reasons why a Chupa Moting wasn't actually called upon. It's more the psychology of the game to kind of like let him know, like, well, you're the man we're counting on. And I think when he knows that, he tends to deliver. Francis, if if if, if uh, Abu Bakr is the most important player, who is the who is the youngster that we should all be watching out for in, in this Cameroonian side? You said that there's a lot of young talent coming through. Who's the one name that you would you'd pick out for us at this AFCON? Um, I have followed this kid since he was 16 years old and watched his progress from Cameroonian football to North American football. He played at uh, Philadelphia Unions. Uh, then he crossed across to the European game. And he is just beginning to come into himself. I genuinely believe he is one of those players, like an Aussie man, that we will be talking about in two to three years' time and wondering how he's not, how he wasn't on the radar of one of the big clubs when he was 16. And that will underlie further just how limited scouting is when it comes to the African space. I take it very passionately. And we have a lot of players in this national team at present that we have been fortunate to see when they were 15 and 16. And when I say we here, I mean uh, with Rainbow and the business operation that we do across Africa. And to see him qualify for our national team on merit, not because anybody put in a phone call or anybody said, oh, do you know? You instead receive a call where somebody's asking you, how can we lay our hands on this kid because it's exceptional? Do you know somebody who knows somebody who knows this kid? Um, Here's another player who I think if things go right, the world will wake up and notice. And he, I think he also has the the, the privilege and, and the honor of being the, I think the only person coming to the AFCON who plays his football in the Arctic Circle <laughs> up in, in Bodo Glimt. So I think if, if anyone will be grateful that, that we'll, this tournament is in Cote d'Ivoire and it'll be sweltering hot, it'll be him because I'm sure he misses misses the heat. <laughs> he is looking, he's enjoying, not even looking forward, they're already in Jeddah. 
And I know they're enjoying the weather. They're having a fantastic time in Saudi Arabia. And we're seeing a really nice sense of camaraderie uh, amongst them. Uh, him and Nuhu had all played in, in like American football together. So you see those kind of bonds, even from the pictures that come through. And a whole group of them, along with people like Patrick Mboma, went and did the pilgrimage, I think, yesterday or this morning at Mecca. It was just nice to see. And it's like, he's not even a Muslim, like he's a Christian kid. But it's just like, and I was like, it's the spirituality of it. It's kind of like, look, we're here. It's like going into a beautiful cathedral. You know, you know you're in the presence of something bigger than you and stronger than you. And you go and you bow to it. And I think that's a beautiful thing, you know. So, yes, you know, he'll be the one young player I would say let's let's look out for. And now, Francis, I have the hardest question of all coming for you now is I need a prediction. How far are Cameroon going at this tournament? How far will the Indomitable Lions go? I think we can go all the way. That's 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 the Cameroonian in me. Um, the impossible ne pas is a philosophy we live by, like, Nothing is impossible to Cameroonians. And um, I think they genuinely do have a good team. It's all about what happens on the ground. To be brutally honest, we can speculate all we want, but there is a, a certain magic that happens when the games begin. And if that magic sets in, I think they will be unstoppable. Because in their coach, they have a person who's been there and done that. In the Federation boss, they have a person who's been there and done that. And on the pitch, they have players who've been there and done that. From their captain in Vincent Abubakar, it's only 2017 when they won it last. It's not that long ago. So you still have the memory of it and it's fresh. But you have enough of the hunger because this new generation also want to make their name because they actually feel like they're disrespected undervalued because they haven't brought as much joy as any other team has before. And that usually is the motivation that they like and that they need. And the last time we were in Ivory Coast, I think it was in 84. Yeah, I think it was 84. Yeah, we won it. So good territory to go back to. Mm -hmm. Happy memories. <laughs> and then Fred, Exactly. And, and Francis, well, my next question was going to be if who's going to win the tournament, but you, you've answered it there. You, you, it's, it's, of course, the, the, the Cameroonians will be there again. Uh, if, if I take off, if I take off my nationalistic hat, <laughs> I would have to say the Senegalese for me have the potential to do what they were supposed to do, which is win this thing three times. And that was, they went to the semifinals and they lost and then they got to the finals and then they won. And I think a good golden generation like theirs was supposed to win it more than once. So the fact that they've won the one is good, but I think they themselves know that for the work they put in to get to where they are, they deserve, they need House of African football. But beyond them, um, the Moroccans we know are always there and thereabouts. And I don't want to speak about Morocco. I actually want to speak about Egypt. Now, there's one country that, for me, are getting away with football murder. 
because they have the best player in world football, as far as I'm concerned, in Mohamed Salah. And they should be walking into a tournament, even if it's just him and 10 other players with half a leg, they should be saying, we will make it all the way. And they're usually in the semis. They sometimes make it as far as the semis and the finals. I think they will be there or thereabouts again. And Mohamed Salah, like Messi got his World Cup, sneakily also deserves to lift up this trophy for what he has given Egyptian football, for what he has given African football, for what he's given world football. So I would not be disappointed if we lost out to a Senegal or an Egypt. But apart from those two countries, it's Cameroon all the way. <laughs> yeah, I I, lo- I think the parallels with with Messi are, are really there for Salah. I think I think there is particularly his legacy and how much he means to the country, things like that. And then Francis, I have my last two questions. First of all, who is going to be the top goal scorer at this tournament? Top goal scorer. Now, if these Nigerians get going, you can have three top <laughs> goal scorers out of the Nigerian team because they have the top at least for starters. <laughs> but as we've seen with the last two. World Cup qualifiers, they can't even get a goal. So now they're <laughs> set up to play. And if amazing talents can be fed a ball so they can put it uh, in the back of the net. Um, but to pull out a name, uh, I really can't say. Francis, if, if it was anyone else, I would, I'd make you give me an answer, but I'll let you get away with it. Francis, if... <laughs> Francis, it's always a pleasure. Always love having you on the pod. And I, you're making me more and more excited for, for this, this Cameroonian team when, you know, I still don't know what we're gonna what we're gonna get. Are, are they gonna win the tournament? Are they gonna get knocked out? But that's that's the excitement of it. 